The role of the modern-day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Well, good afternoon, everyone. We have two familiar faces that almost a lot of you guys know. Eric Schoonvel, who's been my co-host for the last couple up next. So, Eric, welcome again. Good morning, Tommy. Good to see you. And then, hey, as many people know, Tony has been on these podcasts a couple times. He's been very involved with Resource Global. Whenever I talk about our work in Nairobi, Tony, I mention all the time. Tony knows is one of these Christians who knows how to create revenue. I love Tony. He is a board member of Resource Global. I'm proud of that. But more so, he is the founder and also managing director of Kinyungu Ventures. So, Tony, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Tommy. Good to be here. Hey, now, nice Tony, for some of those guys on Facebook who just don't know what you do, can you talk a little bit about Kanyugu Ventures? Yeah, we're essentially an impact investment fund for early stage ventures and small businesses um, in East Africa. So we provide capital, we provide connections, and hopefully we provide counsel and wisdom as these small businesses and early stage startups start their journey on uh building their businesses and and scaling to the next level, uh, mostly in Kenya, but uh, across East Africa. Got it. Hey, and before all that, just a little bit, I'll turn it over to Eric. Like your history, talk a little bit about, like I knew you from the days of your savvy <laughs> daddy days. Yes. Can you give a glimpse <laughs> of your journey to what you're doing now? Yeah, I mean, God sort of has a sense of humor and just knows how to direct me, I think. But uh, I mean, 10 years of corporate and realizing I don't like corporate but love business and then 10 years of sort of starting businesses and realizing I love starting and launching things and that's my sweet spot. And then God sort of twist of events brought me and my family out to, to Kenya for three years. And it was there that I really fell in love with Kenya and also found some really amazing entrepreneurs that I would say are both profit savvy and uh, kingdom oriented. Um, sometimes it's kind of just one or the other. These are These were sort of both and entrepreneurs and Got really started uh, getting behind them in terms of just walking alongside them and providing advice and them teaching me many things, but also providing capital. So uh, it's been a really fun journey just to walk alongside what I believe to be kind of our brothers and sisters building some amazing organizations in Kenya. Got it, Eric. Hey, Tony, can, can you tell us just a little bit about how you and your family ended up in Kenya? Yeah, I mean, it was... It was really just a one God moment in 2013 when my wife and I were just having dinner with her sister and 
her sister was telling us about her friend who had just spent a year in this place called Kajabi, Kenya. And I, I really remember that moment of just the chills going down my spine and my heart jumping out of my chest and looking over at my wife and sort of seeing her kind of freak out in her way and just feeling like God was calling us there and then affirming it every step of the way. And it sort of felt like God ambushed us in a, in a friendly way. It was like a week in there where seven different friends, who no, none of whom known each other, were telling us about Kenya. Um, and so that's kind of the, was the start. And we, we ended up moving out there in 2015. Wow. And, and how are things going in, in Nairobi and in Kenya in the, the business environment, especially, you know, these days with the, the COVID crisis? Yeah, I think it's been, it's been of, of course, a really challenging environment. It, it's in some ways, it's a challenging environment to begin with. And so to add on top of that, this whole crisis, uh, especially for Kenya, where the economy is very much dependent on services. So you think about all the tourism that that happens, all the hotels, the safari companies, the travel companies, the guest houses, a lot of those folks are just shut down. And that's kind of, that might be, we'll see how the summer you know season goes, but uh, obviously a huge hit there. And then Kenya is also very much dependent on, you know, agriculture, horticulture, um, huge, huge flower farms, for example, uh, near where I used to live. And, you know, with most of those roses, you know, usually they, they're sent to Europe and those markets have been suspended. So a lot of that stuff is, that's a huge hit for both Kenya's uh, agriculture and service and tourism kinds of, kinds of things. So big hits on the, on those side of things. Yeah. Okay. Besides the economy, has it, hit the pandemic hit the people or the cities hard at all? I know it's hit Asia hard through some of the people talking with Singapore, Jakarta, the U.S. has definitely hit hard. Has it hit Nairobi very hard? Yeah, I'd say that uh, I think the lockdown orders and all, all those responses in Kenya were about two weeks after what we were experiencing in, in uh, the U.S. So it's still sort of early days. People are working from home. There is a curfew in place. Um, Traffic in and out of Nairobi has been cut off. Uh, most of, most you know typical businesses have shut down. People working from home, but you also have to remember that much of the population are farmers out there in the rural areas, still growing what they grow and then selling it in their local markets. That's still happening. Um, and with that piece, there is there is a sense there's some fear of food security, uh, which is a real issue. So. I've I've heard some prices, you know, go up ten to twenty percent of typical t commodities like maize and sugar. You know what would typically be, uh, you know, one kg of sugar costing a dollar now it's a dollar twenty because everyone's hoarding and and demand is higher. So you're definitely seeing those those kinds of dynamics happening um, in the country. Got it. Hey, now I know a lot of times you and I talk. You travel a lot internationally. Like you're in Nairobi. Five times a year, usually? Four, three, four times a year, yeah. Three, four times. And you've made a lot of different friends during your time there. How? What's the spiritual sense? Even as you talk with a lot of your friends in Nairobi, what's the spiritual sense? How are they doing on a spiritual level as you talk with them? Yeah, I think very, maybe similar to the U.S., there's kind of a spectrum of responses. Um, I think there's some that are very, very afraid of what, what this is going to do and what how how things will play out, especially around food security and just honestly just uh, starving. Um, where 
on the other side of things, uh, there's people that sort of see this as a sort of a reset of God's sort of a reset of what's really important, what is essential. Um, I've often seen there's a verse in Chronicles that talks about when God decides to send the locusts, which is happening this year, when there's a f- drought, which has happened this year, and then pestilence, which this is sort of the pestilence part of that verse. So it's there's some sense of like, is God trying to, and, and in that verse, it talks a little bit about it's time for us to repent and turn from our wicked ways and pray. And so there is also a sense of, you know, this this is a good time to reflect on what is truly important and what is truly eternal um, as we, you know, sometimes in these developing countries, you do see a, a chase of of what America stands for, and if you will, and um, maybe that's not the, the North Star, right? So God, yeah. it makes, makes a lot of sure. sense. You know, for the startups and the businesses that you're working with, uh, primarily in, in East Africa, you know, what sort of things are you emphasizing now as being truly important? Yeah, I think that uh, I wrote a, a post a little bit to the entrepreneurs not that long ago. And I think in these situations, well, first of all, the health and safety of them and their people of, uh, is paramount, of course. Um, but secondly, as leaders of these organizations, I think it's really important to just honestly just to take care of yourself spiritually. Um, the phrase that we've been throwing around is to stay stay grounded and stay surrounded. Um, because as leaders of these organizations, you are going to be making some very, in some ways, defining decisions over the next three to six months for your organization and for the future. So in some ways, we're going to be talking about these decisions we make now for maybe years to come. So to be able to take care of yourself, to be able to to stay grounded and surrounded so that you can stay clear headed, even if the outside environment is foggy, um, that's a great place to be in. So I think this virus has sort of exposed, you know, people have, people have been exposed. So it's, if you, if you didn't have a lot of margin financially, you're exposed. If you didn't have a lot of margin spiritually or emotionally, you're also sort of exposed now as well. Yeah. And, you know, in, in this kind of crisis where there's a lot of fear and paralysis, um, you know, what are some of the ways or the techniques that you use to help these leaders move from this place of, of fear to a, a place of opportunity and impact. Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's there's a great framework that the folks at uh, Praxis Labs has put up, and they they talk about kind of the three phases of decision making or three phases that you got to think about. There's there's the blizzard, which is like the next short term. What do we got to do just to kind of stay alive? Then there's maybe the possibly the long um, winter for the next few months. So how do we shelter down, hunker down, protect assets, protect talent, those kinds of things. And then there's kind of the new, what you would call the new ice age. So long-term, is this a new, are there new long-term things that are happening that could impact the business? So, so first of all, just to bucket your decisions into those three places, realizing you can't control everything. You can only control what you can control, but then just, kind of going through the process systematically of what do I got to do to survive the blizzard and then the long winter and then the new ice age possibly closes down some industries permanently 
but it also opens up new roads of innovation as well. So the things that we never thought possible before 9-11, for example, uh, like full body scanners at airports and at every airport, right? That, uh, that, that's like a new reality that we don't even really think about today. Um, there's going to be some new realities as well as we go forward uh, post-COVID. Yeah. Hey, Tony, let me ask you, and uh, for Eric and for some of the people who are listening in, like Asia has a unique way of managing folks in Southeast Asia. In U.S., when you did FDA Zealot, there's a unique way of managing employees. Talk about how you manage and work with people in Nairobi in light of the, or even in Kenya in light of their culture. How do, how do you manage and work with them? I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's all that different. I think at the end of the day, humans are humans. And this is the time to spend the extra time to ask the extra question and to listen to, listen to how people are actually doing. Um, so in, in that sense, things have never changed. You know, we in, in the West tend to be a little bit more individualistic. So, you know, understanding the communal, the family obligations um, of every employee, you know, so just paying special attention to those kinds of things, uh, I think really goes a long way and, and not necessarily getting right down to business. Um, I know some companies have started to practice, uh, for example, of, on their daily meeting of what was your what was your silver lining from yesterday? Um, so just, you know, with all the negative news and all the negativity, you know, what what are you seeing in terms of the positives? And, and also just stressing for the kingdom minded folks out there, what is God teaching us in this time? And uh, what is he what do you think he's teaching us through this through this pandemic? Got it. Eric. Yeah. And, you know, I think I saw maybe a blog or something that you had written and you had some suggestions. And one of the suggestions that really struck me was that uh, you recommended using this time to serve and give to others. And I'm just wondering how you kind of uh, uh, reconcile this importance of serving and giving in this time when so many people are fighting for literally survival, you know, personally or their business and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's uh, there's an amazing spiritual impact when we get out of the insular fear circle of ourselves and start seeing the needs of others. So I think it's it's I mean it's not not that we need to serve for our own selfish reasons, but there is a sort of a great secondary byproduct that when we do serve others. Uh, we get out of our circles and we actually are energized and blessed from that. Um, and I've been really pleased by some of the efforts that have been going on in Kenya. So there's a, a whole group of uh, startups and big corporates put together uh, initiatives called Safe Hands Kenya, you know, raising money to, to have, sand, you know, hand washing stations all across, you know, the slums and different things. There's another group called Humanity Kenya. Basically, one lady who's very, very trusted had a family who needed some cash, so she donated some, and then she just reached out to others, and now it's become sort of a movement of, like, let's just help some families who need some cash for food right now. Um, so there's there's some really cool grassroots ways that I've seen the ecosystem sort of serve and uh, step up to the plate. Yeah. Hey, Tony, let me ask you a quick question. I mean, with the Christian entrepreneurs that you work with, is 
do, do you do they work well with the local church or is it still hey the church does their thing and entrepreneurs do their thing or is there more of a appreciation of partnership between everyone yeah i would probably put i mean it definitely depends on the place and the and the people but i would put it more in the middle there it's definitely not adversary adversarial or anything like that but there isn't also a ton of deep collaboration um so it's it's sort of uh, they're working on parallel streams and sometimes it, it bleeds over and overlaps in good ways but mostly it's uh i would say it's separate streams yeah eric the, the reason why i asked that question is if you go to nairobi at least the times i've been there it does still feel like there's what the church is doing and in the marketplace leaders and there is a still a mentality with some that hey look if you're really really serious leave the marketplace and go to full-time ministry and so that doesn't always translate to marketplace and ministries working together yeah no that makes a lot of sense um one question i guess you know uh tony you mentioned uh you know new opportunities and the new ice age and changes are you seeing any you know, new ideas or new products that are developing in Nairobi, Nairobi or, or Kenya uh, during this time frame? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that there is a sort of a, a longer term arc of a story of sort of the digital Africa. So as as you can imagine, you know, a lot of the banks and a lot of the insurance companies that have been around for long, long times, they're still paper based you still got to go into the branch and it takes weeks or months or whatever, you know, it's a lot of that kind of process. And there has already been momentum building to say, you know what, it's time to digitize. It's time to, it's not necessarily time to create an app, but it's time to think about the customer experience in this mobile first world. So what does that look like going forward on an integrated basis? It's not just a cut and paste strategy from this, from the West per se, but I think the whole digitization of Africa, of business processes, of, of platforms, of those that were already, were, those are already starting to gain momentum. That will only accelerate now here in, in this post-COVID world. I've also heard some, some anecdotes of some e-commerce companies um, or last mile logistics companies that are that, you know, delivered to customers are seeing huge surges of demand. And, and we'll see if that is something that keeps up, if that is a consumer behavior that's sticky after all this is over. But those that were more digitized seem to be sort of uh, catapulted to the front of the line here with this pandemic. That makes sense. And is, is there an infrastructure there that, that supports that? Like I, I've been spending a lot of time in Central America and you get so spoiled in the States. If I need yeah. to send money to somebody, I can Venmo or Zelle or right. anything like that. And there it's it's cash and, and it's you have to you know drive 40 minutes to the bank to get something. How, how is that that infrastructure in Africa? I think Kenya is probably one of the leaders in Africa, if not the world, around mobile money with M-Pesa. So one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that half of the mobile money accounts in the world are in Africa. And I think that is because it was essentially a, a leapfrog tech where you really couldn't build branches of banks, you know, so this was the way to do it. So actually a lot of folks, even in the rural, rural areas are using 
you know, mobile money to pay for things. There's still a lot of infrastructure to be created. Um, a lot of cross-border remittances and, you know, just simple things of like, I, I'm sending my corn to Uganda. How does the Ugandan person pay me back on that end? Well, you know, those kinds of things need to be built in, in this next round. And they are being built by many of the startups and the fintech companies that actually are flourishing in many ways in Nairobi. Hey, now, Tony, let me ask you a sensitive question, all right? Uh, Bring it. The one that, the question that, a lot, or the thing that people don't always understand is the presence of the Chinese in Nairobi or in Kenya. Is your Chinese entrepreneur, and as you talk with your fellow African brothers and sisters, how do they view the Chinese? What's their outlook on you or even uh, the Chinese in general and their presence in Africa? Yeah, I would say it. Again, it's a mixed bag. There's some that say, wow, man, look at if if this road were built by anyone but the Chinese, it'd still be in planning mode, but it's already built, right? So and not only that, this the, the roads that the Chinese have built, you know, three years ago are actually still fine as opposed to the other roads. So there is some sort of respect and some it's just respect and almost admiration that they can get things done so quickly and so and so well in terms of especially these construction projects. Um, you know, of course, there's some mixed feelings around some of those jobs maybe could have been given to Kenyans. Um, so I think anytime an, you know, outsiders come in the countries, it's, it's always kind of with uh, it's an, an ambivalence where there's pros and cons for both. I, I've definitely, you know, as a Chinese American, but, you know, in Kenya, I, they probably think that I, they, you know, they, there's a lot of nihaos and they yeah. assume that I'm, you know, from China. <laughs> so, and I start talking to them and they say, wow, your English is so good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> once in a while I'll get that. But uh, so, yeah, it's a mixed bag. It's, you know, with the thousands of Chinese there um, and, you know, they're very visible on all the roads and all, you know, all these construction projects. So however those people behave is going to be the stereotype of how how they see all Chinese. Is there an, Eric, in some sense, as we've talked about the global church, we now are the smaller world where before it was just Africa, China, Southeast Asia, U.S., everyone operating their own church. Now we're just combining everything. Tony, is there a sense from the Africans sometimes that China is going to come and just take over everything? Is, that there, is there a fear of that? Yeah, there, there is a deep sense of mistrust mm -hmm. and uh, there's the, the, a big part of the conversation is all this debt that Kenya is taking on. Uh, yeah. There's not always a lot of transparency around what the terms are on that debt and those kinds of things. So there's, I, th I think P China honestly has a bit of a PR problem in Africa um, as sort of the next sort of overlords potentially. You know, it's not there yet, of course. It, they're still seen as a friendly partner in terms of getting things done and, and financing projects that never would have gotten done without them. Um, so there is progress and there's positives, but it's also mixed with those kinds of fears uh, in, you know, as well. 
Eric, you know, as you and I continue to co-host and Tony's seen it, I mean, look at, you have racial tension wherever you go, yeah. you know, definitely. But look at Jakarta, Chinese and Indonesians, ethnic Indonesians, suddenly now in Singapore, you are having people from the Malaysian border crossing right. the Singapore borders and just the resources they're taking up, they're closing borders. China, as well as uh, in Kenya, you have Africans and Chinese. This world has really started mixing. How do you get along, but also how do you deal with all of the tensions that begins to grow? Yeah. So yeah. hopefully the church can be a positive force in all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and even I am not sure is even when you go to an African church, do they ex do Chinese people go to an African church or are they doing church plans? There are Chinese churches. Tony, I, I'm not sure. What, what do you see there? And that probably is the last question as we wrap up. Yeah, I actually know of, of some missionaries, some Chinese missionaries who are there in Kenya feeling called to the Chinese in Kenya. So there are Chinese churches, if you can believe it, in Nairobi meeting on, on a weekly basis. And so I think that's kind of where most Chinese will end up if they have any spiritual hunger at this point. Well, hey, Eric, Tony, we're, Tony, we're going to have to do this again because you're in some sense our Nairobi correspondent. And so we, when we need insight from Nairobi, we need to come and talk to you. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Tommy. It's been a pleasure. Hey, Fantastic. Thanks, everybody. I know your wife, Catherine, is a doctor. How is she doing? She's doing well. Just, you know, the baby's still don't take a break of coming into this world. So uh, neither do the OBGYNs, but uh, she's really happy to just be able to serve uh, in these in these times tell her we said hi and eric thank you very much thanks everybody thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the grow center's entrepreneurial ministry leader podcast to stay connected make sure you subscribe to the grow center channel rate and review this episode and make sure to share on your social media platforms we would love for you to follow along with the grow center on instagram and facebook at grow center network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.